This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. We were west of the Azores, five days out of New York, when we spotted the Mary Celeste. She was listing to leeward, but still under sail, with no obvious sign of distress. That is the first verse from The Mary Celeste by John F. McCullough. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in on our first episode of 2020 uh, that we're recording, at least. My name is Ben. My name is Noel. Ben, you know what I'm a big fan of? Uh, nautical terms. And that poem did a gangbuster's job of incorporating one of my other favorite things, alliteration and nautical terms. Listing leeward. Mm-hmm. How about that? Yeah, yeah. This poem is just one of the many poems you can find about the famous or infamous Mary Celeste. Uh, there's the other one, The Ghost Ship Mary Celeste by Leland Waldrop. I love a good Waldrop. <laughs> That's a weird name, right? You know what else I love? A What's good that? ghost ship. Who doesn't like a ghost ship? It's one of the all-time kind of creepy things is this idea of a massive vessel meant to be inhabited by humans and delivering goods and cargo and, and of course, humans to a destination to discover it completely abandoned, just drifting out there in the sea. Very unsettling thing. 
And ghost ships, uh, like ghost trains, were a common trope in the pioneering days of European naval expansion. The Flying Dutchman is another one. Uh, but the thing about the Mary Celeste is that it actually was physically discovered before we started the show today. I, I had asked you and our super producer, Casey Pegram. Don't think I forgot that, Casey. Ben was doing a really, just to give you a visual, doing a nice almost finger guns kind of point at Casey Pegram over there through the window, it's through just, the glass. It's good to see. It's good to see you, man. Uh, don't, don't tap on the glass, though. He doesn't like that. No, 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 no. And don't feed him after midnight. So I, it was interesting. I was asking guys if, if you had ever heard of the Mary Celeste. And Casey, you said that this was um, somewhat unfamiliar to you. Yeah, I don't think I've ever... It didn't ring a bell. It did not ring a bell. Certainly ghost ships. I don't know if you guys ever saw that ghost ship movie. I was about to say. That's, that's the one I think of in yeah. popular culture. Yeah. And I never even saw the movie. I just saw the first scene. The first pretty, scene pretty much all you have to watch. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like they're having a ball on the deck of the ship. Mm-hmm. And what, like a wire gets yeah. cut loose? Yes, yes. And like... Very sharp Final wire. Destination style <laughs> slices everyone in, in half. Yeah, everybody everyone. just kind of like slowly <laughs> yeah. slides down <laughs> in two sections. And it's, it's horrific. It's very, very absurd. Yeah. I love it so much. And you much. thought you thought that's perfect. That's all I need. From yeah, I was, I was out at that point. I was like, what more can this movie do? This is amazing. That's what with Gabriel Byrne in it, right? Is he in that? Oh, one? okay. Maybe so. Maybe. I don't know. He doesn't get sliced. Yeah, that's he's all not, he's I know. not in, the, uh, in the opening anyway. I'm assuming, Casey, you might not know because you haven't seen the film, but you might have read some synopses. Are the sliced people the ones who become the titular ghosts of the ghost ship? I would imagine so, yeah. I would imagine those people kind of come back in a ghostly form. Because they're doing sort of a play on the idea of a ghost ship, because a ghost ship is an abandoned ship or a ship where everyone's dead. Yeah. But this one is about a spooky haunted ship, a.k.a. a ghost ship. Yeah, it's like a ghost ghost ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole setup, I, j- I pulled up the plot here, the whole setup is that in 1962, Everybody dies because of uh, this wire, Final Destination-esque death, except for one person, uh, a girl named Katie, who is short, so she survives. Short people got plenty of reason to live, apparently. (laughs) Right. And then it fast-forwards 40 years. Uh, I'm probably most familiar with the concept of Mary Celeste because I grew up reading all those books like The Mysteries of the Unknown, the old Time Life books. Of course. Yeah. I, I still have that full collection. And I had a bunch of other silly, well, I don't want to say silly, but titles that were obviously knockoffs like Paranormal, Unexplained, en- Enigmatic Conundrums. You know, that I mean, maybe a relative would get me because they were cheaper than the Time Life. Totally. Uh, yeah, you got to look out for those relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's the thing. There's another film, uh, not super famous, um, but uh, from 1935 called Phantom Ship mm-hmm. that actually is a dramatization of what may or may not likely definitely did not happen aboard the Mary Celeste starring Bella Lugosi in a non-vampiric uh, role. Um, but he still does that spooky thing with his hand. I think that might have been medical. Yeah, maybe. No, I'm kidding. I, well, who knows? I mean, it was definitely his trademark. I'm doing it right now with just the three fingers kind of like clawing at the uh, the abyss, I guess we could say. But yeah, he plays a, uh, a crazed sailor um, who is ultimately responsible for what ends up um, producing the, uh, the effect of the ghost ship on the Mary Celeste. Um, so let's do the setup. What you, you, you gave us that poem. Um, mm, yeah. And that was from the perspective of another ship. That discovers right. the uh, the abandoned Mary Celeste. What was the name of that ship? The Dia Gratia. That's right. Yes. Yeah, so the Mary Celeste was an American merchant 
brigantine, which in addition to being one of my favorite words, is a two-masted sailing vessel. Essentially, picture any sailing vessel from, uh, from what you would think of as pirate days, kind of. That's, that's what a brigantine roughly looks like without making this a nautical podcast. The Mary Celeste, uh, construction on it first began back in late 1860, and the vessel was launched on May 18, 1861, where it was given the name Amazon, which we'll, we'll get into later. But before we get to that, the big thing you need to know about the Mary Celeste is that it was discovered adrift on December 4th, 1872 by another brigantine, the Dea Gratia. Uh, and it was weird because we, being our species, the survivors, found a lot of interesting things. Like we, we know a lot about the Mary Celeste before its disappearance, right? We know the captain, Benjamin Briggs. We know the, the time they, they left New York, November 1872. Uh, we know how many people were there. We know what they were hauling, right? Mm-hmm. It was um, quite a few barrels of industrial-grade alcohol, um, interestingly, and this will come into play, stored in wooden barrels. Um, the thing I like about this story is that it combines history, sensationalized journalism, and a good old-fashioned whodunit. Mm-hmm. So... The immediate thought uh, when you discover a, an abandoned ship like this is, where'd everybody go? Why did they abandon ship? What's the evidence of uh, a, a catastrophe of some kind that would cause people to have jumped ship? Um, what we did see uh, what when the folks boarded the ship from the Dia Gratia um, was the following. There were a few hatch doors that had been disassembled, been taken off their hinges. Uh, there was a water pump that had also been disassembled. Um, I think of the several thousand, uh, 1,701 barrels of industrial strength alcohol, uh, there were, I believe, six of them that had been drained completely. Mm-hmm. And the ship had one lifeboat. This lifeboat was missing but there was still a six-month supply of food and water on board. Right. So we're going to look at these as almost like clues. Um, then you also, in the hold where the barrels were stowed, uh, there was uh, a bit of flooding. There were about three and a half feet of water um, at the bottom of the ship. Uh, we also had um, every most of the uh, personal effects of the individuals that had been on board. Um, how many how many people do we have in the crew? It wasn't very many, Ben. It's ten. Ten, yeah. Ten people's personal effects pretty much in, intact in, in their quarters. And we had the captain's um, navigational instruments mm-hmm. missing. We had a sextant, I believe, which is the, what you use to gauge, you know, the direction based on the stars. Isn't that right? Yeah. I mean, I've never made one, but that sounds right. Yeah, it sort of looks like it's like a combination of a, um, a telescope and almost like a— Remember those compass a things? A compass. From, yeah. uh, from geography yeah, class? For, for, for doing circles. Geometry, circles. Geometry. Right. So it allows you to measure the distance between two fixed visible objects, and that is how you can navigate using them. You can um, figure out what direction— I, Again, I'm not a naval captain, but that is my basic understanding. But here's the point. He had enough time to grab those things. The lifeboat was missing. Um, clearly, 
they – it would appear, anyway, that they abandoned ship in a pretty orderly fashion. Right, right, right. They contained the panic or chaos, which means they must have had a heads up and a strong suspicion that things were not salvageable. They also took a chronometer, which is a, an instrument that's supposed to keep accurate time despite of variations in weather, temperature, air pressure, and so on. Got it. So – I, I think it's even too far to say they took at this point. We know the stuff that was missing builds a likely case that someone or some or all of the people on the boat felt they had to leave urgently and took only what they needed to make their way in the lifeboat. And apparently they also, you know, they either felt that they didn't have time to get food or their personal effects or they felt that they didn't need to. So over the years, over the intervening centuries between then and now in 2020, what, what we see is that this story becomes a victim of the great game of telephone. And over the years, so many different theories or, I don't know, complete embellishments have arisen regarding the Mary Celeste. You'll, you might grow up like uh, like young me uh, hearing people say, I don't know, maybe aliens, maybe sea monsters, which makes no sense, by the way. You know what scares me more than anything? Sea monsters. Really? Why no, is that? Because you can't see them. Because the, you know, the water's so deep and like there's no way of knowing if they're there. I'm a little perturbed by ocean, open ocean, right. honestly. Yeah. And, you know, when I say sea monsters, I don't necessarily mean like cryptids or anything. I just mean like large. I, I consider like a giant blue whale a sea monster. Dude, what are you talking about? Like seals are the puppy dogs of the sea, but I still don't want to see one in uh, in, in the wild. In or close proximity. Yeah. All dolphin those, would probably try to have sex with you. All those animals you think are cute are doing incredibly depraved things, you know? Do we ever mention... Uh, did we ever mention the penguin, the penguin tail? We must have mentioned it on air uh, a while ago. Uh, when penguins were originally spotted, the the people who spotted them noticed them committing acts of necrophilia and edited it out of the official report. What? Yeah. Necrophilia? Yeah. Defiling their fallen comrades? Pe pe penguinphilia? Oh, my God. That's terrifying. This is another thing, and totally off the, off the subject, sure. and this is another thing that I just found out. Did you know that the whole idea of lemmings committing mass suicide is totally made up for a Disney thing? Yes. They essentially forced them to do it, or they, like, they tricked them, them and off. drove them off the cliff, and what a weird thing to come up with. I like to think that Walt was not directly involved, but I don't know the details. Maybe we should return to that because that might be an episode of its own, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and uh, misconceptions, right, about animals and how they came about. Oh, man. Yeah, we could go a number of ways with that. Write in. Let us know about your favorite uh, misconceptions or historical misconceptions about animals as we proceed to bust some myths about the Mary Celeste. So we know that the crew of the Dea Gratia sailed the Mary Celeste uh, 800 miles away to Gibraltar. And then they, they wanted to, and they did this not out of the goodness of their hearts. No. They wanted some scratch, right? This is interesting. I didn't know about this. The idea of salvage rights or, you know, if you're another ship and you find an abandoned ship floating adrift like that, um, you can essentially get paid for dismantling everything and, you know, 
sell, selling it off for scrap or salvage or whatever, whatever the, uh, you know, the cargo is, which is interesting to me because I would think that there was a company at the other end of that uh, situation and those barrels of alcohol that was their property. I don't know. How, how does that fit in? Like if insurance, my friend. Ah, yes. Okay. So they wanted to see the the crew of the Dea Gracia wanted to see if they could get paid by the ship's insurers. However, their plan went awry because the attorney in charge of the legal matters, a guy named, get this, Frederick Solly Flood. Mm, love it. S-O-L-L-Y-Flood said, I suspect mischief and shall investigate. Uh, we're getting uh, some of this information, by the way, from a fantastic article via the Smithsonian called Abandoned Ship, the Mary Celeste by Jess Blumberg. And in these accounts, which is what my question was a minute ago, uh, I haven't seen anything referencing like the the holding company, like the company that the Mary Celeste represented. My point is those barrels of alcohol would have been the property of that company. So how come a random ship can just come up and say, oh, this is ours now? Surely the actual company held a claim on that ship and its, you know, and its contents mm-hmm. and would have said, we would like that returned to us, please. Is, is that why they are able to get paid? Like, I don't understand why they would get the full amount of what the ship was insured for. You'd think the owners of the ship would get that, not the people that discovered it. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting That's an interesting question there. Did you find anything? I didn't there? really. Because what I keep seeing is the crew and the captain of the De Gracia um, went and staked this claim that they were due something in the neighborhood of $46,000 that the ship was insured for that they would have split between them which is mm-hmm. that's all I that's all I found. I found no mention of like the 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 parent company for lack of a better term for this ship and its contents. Um but like you said that really wonderfully named cantankerous judge uh he sensed foul play because you know I mean if someone has something to gain in a situation like this, there looks to have been some sort of unusual occurrence that left the ship abandoned. Uh, it's pretty clear who uh, may have been to blame, which, you know, the one theory is that these uh, these folks aboard this other vessel killed them, threw them overboard, staged it to make it look like they had jumped ship, and then um, rather than stealing the contents, which they would have had to then fence or yada, 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 they knew about these salvage laws, and uh, the laws of the sea are different than the laws of, of man and the laws of land. So they they knew that they could get paid if they just returned the ship and said, hey, we want to get you know that insurance money. So the judge was like, no, 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 it's a little fishy. I'm going to do sure. some digging. Yeah. And he did do some digging. And it took, how long did it take? Three months. Yeah, three months of digging um, and determined that there was no foul play, but yet still did not pay out the full amount. I think each member of the crew uh, went home with around 800 bucks. Yeah, in total, they got one-sixth of the 46 grand that the ship and its cargo had been insured for. Also, I want to go back. It would be remiss. Uh, I I do remember who, quote-unquote, owned that alcohol. Uh, it's it's weird. It was a New York consortium headed by James H. Winchester. And the thing that makes it sticky and murky is that the members of the consortium changed multiple times from 1869 all the way to 72. Uh, but it was Winchester uh, and then two other investors 
and then the ship's captain, Benjamin Briggs. Where are they in all this, though? Where is Winchester in all this? You don't see mention of him coming and saying, hey, I want my money. I want my alcohol. You know? Well, at the risk of uh, at the risk of sounding cynical, it's it's a lot like asking where were the banks uh, in many great wars and conflicts, right? Or who owns the banks? You know, it's That's a good point. I mean, it's just I don't think that's a situation where there's some kind of shadowy proto-hydra uh, that's that's attempting to hide its denatured alcohol trade. I think they may have just gotten lost to the sands of history here because we see very quickly that within a few years, people begin focusing on the more sensationalized aspects of the story, or they begin creating the sensationalism themselves, because ordinarily Mary Celeste would have just been a boat that was salvaged, right? And insurance took the loss, but that's what insurance is for. Boats sink somewhere every day. Sure. Except, that is... For a guy named Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you may recognize him as the mastermind behind Sherlock Holmes. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off that's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know who also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wild lens, and stone. You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Well, you know, you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. 
Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrified horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. In 1884, Doyle publishes this, let's call it account, a narrative of the abandonment of the Mary Celeste. And he does it under a, uh, under a fake name, a different title, J. Habakkuk Jepsum's statement. So he's essentially pulling a war of the worlds here. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like not, he's, not taking, he's taking like a thing that is fictionalized as a real thing. Like, um, you know, so it's not presented as a short story. It's presented as an account. Like you said, the title was J. Habakkuk Jepsum's statement, as though this were someone just telling, recounting a story. This is new information that has come up. So – you know, he knew it was a work of fiction, but he probably, you know, was trying to get more readers by making people believe that it was potentially real. And it was actually 12 years after the event. And like you said, Ben, it was more or less abandoned, the idea of this being some, you know, people kind of forgot about it. But because Arthur Conan Doyle, which I would say 12 years is a pretty respectable amount of time uh, for you know, let's 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 make something interesting out of this. Yeah, know? he's not dancing on a grave. I don't know that, that he expected it to to go crazy in the way that it did. No. But it did. Yeah, yeah. And once it was published in 1884 in Cornhill magazine, people went nuts and began theorizing about the ship's fate. It's kind of like for any of us in the audience today who are on Reddit, it's kind of like when something of global importance happens on Reddit and all of a sudden people who are uh, purportedly experts in that field come out of the woodwork, you know? There are people who are saying, well, with my uh, my experience as, as a captain, I can say this definitively about the Mary Celeste. And then someone else might be saying, well, with my experience as a medium, I can say so-and-so about the Mary Celeste. And there's someone saying, like, look, I've been around denatured alcohol for nigh on 27 fortnights, and I know a lot about that. So mm -hmm. I'm an expert. Even... The attorney general, Solly Flood, goes back to the case and he writes summaries of his interviews and his notes. But the fact that we were unable to solve this mystery means that people continued to speculate about this. They said perhaps the crew mutinied, perhaps pirates were involved or sea monsters or, you know, just a big ass wave. <laughs> just one big wave that caught everybody who were they're standing on deck. Uh, and then the... 1884 story by Conan Doyle says maybe they were captured by a vengeful ex-slave. And that I, I think that leads into 
uh, what was the name of that Bella Lugosi film you mentioned? Phantom Ship? Phantom Ship. Yeah. yeah, I think it leads into Phantom Ship where he's an evil sailor. So now we can turn to people like Anne McGregor, who created the true story of the Mary Celeste, a, a documentary with some funding from Smithsonian to try to use modern techniques to shed some light on these these tragic events. Yeah, or even just kind of applying some critical thinking and deductive reasoning to all this stuff. Because we really do have, again, we did, you know, Stuff They Don't Want You to Know style laid out the facts at the beginning of the show. Mm. And those remain the facts. There's nothing, they don't have a ton of new information based on this investigation. Yeah, there's not like a, a two other mystery people who are on there. No. Yeah. Let's start with, you know, maybe one of the lowest hanging fruit um you know, possibilities, which would be the idea that the ship was boarded, they were robbed and murdered, thrown overboard by pirates, right? Hmm. Well, what we do know is that the cargo was undisturbed for the most part, aside from those empty barrels, right? Yeah, why would you, what, what kind of robber would you be if you went on board and then you didn't take anything? Because you could say maybe they were, Maybe they didn't know what the cargo was, and they were taking a crapshoot at it, and they said, uh, this is not even alcohol we can drink. Right. Avast. You know, it's it's all for naught. But the problem with that is they still would have taken valuable personal effects. You know what I mean? Which they didn't. One thing that is a bit of an interesting clue is that there were two German brothers on the crew named Volkert and Boy Lorenzen. And they um, were suspect as potentially having, you know, done some kind of dirty dealings. Yeah, they're because they're German. Well, yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Sorry, German audience. Um, I, I thought the joke was worth it. Who knows? Um, but uh, the main thing was that their personal effects were missing. Um, so there was this notion that maybe they were the homicidal sailors that were depicted by uh, Lugosi in that 1935 um, film. Uh but according to McGregor, who interviewed their descendant, um, they had supposedly lost some of their possessions or lost all of their possessions, their gear, as, as, as it says in the interview, um, in a previous shipwreck. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. A uh, shipwreck uh, that was earlier in 1872. And then if we say, okay, what if it wasn't pirates? What if it was instead the crew of the De Gracia? The problem with that is that the captain of that ship, Captain Morehouse, was actually friends with Captain Benjamin Briggs. There was no evidence of violence. And again, nothing really was stolen. What's the motive, too, right? right? Like, I mean, well, well, okay, never mind. We know what the motive might have been. It would have been to collect that insurance money. But why this one? I mean, I guess since they knew each other, maybe there's that connection that, you know, he would have been aware of this vessel and its sure. cargo. And maybe it's $46,000 a lot of money. It seems like a lot of money at the time for a ship to be insured for in the 1800s. Um, but still, Cargo ships like this went back and forth constantly. A ship is also a huge investment, so that's an argument against a mutiny. Because if there was a, if there were a mutiny, and Briggs and his family, who were on board with him, were allowed to survive, they would have been pushed off the lifeboat, and the crew would have stayed. You know what I mean? Like if you take over 
uh, a, a battleship, a cruiser, or something like that, something of that size, then you're not going to immediately leave it. Uh, we should also say that there was quite a bit of superstition involved in stories of the Mary Celeste. That's why we set it up in the beginning to say that it was originally given the name the Amazon, and then it was renamed because it encountered uh, several different uh, several different uh, unfortunate events. The original one of the captains fell ill and died. Uh, the The ship under the name Amazon collided with other fishing equipment. It ran into and sank another boat in the English Channel, and this started becoming rich fodder, fertile soil for the more supernatural out there legends of the Mary Celeste. With that being said, because of the nature of this show and what the show is, we're going to focus on two theories about what may have happened that actually have some sand to them. Uh, one of them is the idea of an explosion, but not in the way you might think, right? Yeah, no, not at all. Remember the 1701 um, barrels of industrial grade alcohol. Um, also remember those hatch doors that were removed. Remember the water pump that was disassembled. A lot of this uh, kind of goes together and coalesces into this notion that uh, the leaking barrels, remember there were nine empty barrels, um, that they had leaked and caused and, and evaporated, you know, the contents of them and caused like al alcohol, you know, very combustible alcohol vapor to fill up the tight quarters of the hold of the ship and that some sort of explosion could have happened that would have blown the doors off of, mm -hmm. of, uh, of the holds. Right, right. And so we can say that even if, if let's put ourselves in the position of Captain Briggs and say that even though we have experience, even though we are seasoned old salts with uh, plenty of uh, maritime stripes, as it were, you're going to freak out when you hear this massive explosion below deck during, you know, a relatively calm day at sea. There's nothing to explain what has happened. So it's possible that this alcohol seeping out had created a small explosion or maybe the crew started to say, it's a ticking time bomb. Right. We got to go. We've got to at least, and it may be further possible that they got out of the lifeboat with the intention to come back to the ship. And they just meant to like, you know, like a fire drill at your school when you're growing up and all the kids have to go into the parking lot for a second. Yeah, for sure. That's right. This Captain Briggs uh, had a reputation as being really, you know, cool-headed under pressure. Um, he was very well-liked, very organized, uh, a pretty crackerjack sea captain. And so um, since there was no evidence of an explosion, because that would have caused some charring or there would have been there would have been, you know, ways to detect that that had happened, um, even a small one. There would have been some evidence even in those days without forensic stuff. They could have figured out that, OK, something happened. Mm -hmm. You know, this whole idea of blowing the doors off, that wouldn't have just taken them off surgically, like by the hinges like they were, um, which may have been. The, they may have done that to air out the cabin. Maybe, like you said, they evacuated with the idea of doing it temporarily while the uh, fumes aired out, right? Sure. Then they were going to come back. But something happened. Maybe their tow line was severed or they, they somehow lost their 
attachment to the ship and began to drift off um, and seeing the Mary Celeste drifting in the other direction or whatever. Uh, And that would have been a pretty horrific moment. But here's the thing, though. I mean, he took the he took those those he took those um, those navigational tools, right? So it's almost like he intended to. You wouldn't need those if you were just hanging out by the boat. But what if you thought there was a possibility it would explode? Then mm. you would want to have it. You're right. So he was thinking ahead. He was trying to boy scout his way around it. But we know, you know, we know that when the Canadian brigantine found the Mary Celeste, they also saw a strong rope leading into the ocean. Right. So it, it sounds it, it sounds like there's a reasonable case to be made arguing that they had detached the lifeboat but kept it somehow, as you said, moored to the, sh- the larger right. ship. And then something happened. They lost it. It was, an a- you know, some through some, you know, screw up, uh, they, they lost that, that attachment. Um, and here's the interesting part. Remember those barrels, those nine barrels that had leaked? Um, it was very specifically due to the material they were made out of. It's really strange. Out of all of those thousands of, you know, almost 2,000 barrels, nine of them, the ones that leaked, were made out of red oak, while I believe all of the rest were made out of white oak. White oak is watertight. Red oak is porous. Right. So it's much more likely to leak. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in, and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. So, typically when you see investigative shows or, or research into what actually happened that fateful day for the Mary Celeste, you'll find that people conclude it was something to do with the leaking barrels of alcohol, specifically those red oak barrels. But there's another, there's another theory out there that's it's pretty interesting, and it's this. The idea that the chronometer, the one we mentioned earlier, was faulty and that there was also a bum pump going on. This comes to us from a little bit of comparison. We look at Attorney General Solly Flood's notes on this case compared to oceanographic data. Researchers have found that the Mary Celeste was actually way far away from where the captain believed it to be. They were a full 120 miles further west than he had he had assumed and so he had already become disoriented right they also appeared to change course maybe the seas were rougher than we thought or maybe there was something wrong with his instruments yeah yeah exactly uh, so we have to note that Solly floods um, Solly Flood's research is the closest thing we have to a primary source because the actual logbook that was found aboard was lost in 1885. But yeah, you're, you're right. The, there was something wrong with the equipment, this theory argues, because they, they had these pumps, right? On its previous voyage, the Mary Celeste was transporting coal, and it had also been, as we mentioned earlier, repaired and extensively renovated, and maybe... The argument goes, a pump became clogged with coal and sawdust, and without the pump, and with a cargo with all this industrial strength alcohol, some of it leaking, Briggs wouldn't be able to tell how much seawater had actually come into the hull, so he may have thought it was legit sinking. That's right, and what we do know is that they were within sight of land, uh, and he figured maybe let's cut our losses and abandon ships since we don't know how much seawater is coming in um, and just take our chances on the lifeboat because it's not that far right. uh, to to dry land. But what we do know is that none of these folks were ever heard of again. And whenever you have a situation like that, that leads to wild speculation because we can never hear from a primary source, like you said, Ben, aside from the person who did an investigation, um, that attorney general, Solly Flood, um, will never really hear what actually happened because, you know, they're, they're just gone. Yeah. And that's the spooky part, right? Because if they were that close to land with an expert sea captain at the helm— what, why, what, I mean, what, what could have possibly happened? Six miles. They were six miles away, which That's doesn't wild. seem like that far away, right? When you consider how large the ocean is. What would a lifeboat be like in these days? It would be like a rowboat, right? So they would have had to row against maybe choppy waters. Well, it would be assuming that they had 10 souls aboard. Uh, yeah, it would be, it's method of propulsion would be rowing, would be oars. That's it would be it would still be too small probably to have a mast of any sort, right? That's you know, what I was or thinking. sail. 
So they would have to row. Uh, but Six miles rowing against choppy waters, though, that would be no small task. Right. Especially if you're going against, like, the current or whatever. I mean, that would be tough. That's the question, too, because then it calls to mind, like, what was the weather at during this time? Were the original accounts of calm weather just accounts of what the weather was like the day the boat was discovered abandoned? You know, did because a storm can come and go very quickly in the ocean. Very true. Right? Very true. So we don't know what happened to Briggs and his crew and his family, but we do have a little bit more information about the fate of the boat itself because in 1874, the Mary Celeste, despite this besmirched reputation, was sold at a loss to a partnership that wanted to operate the boat in the Indian Ocean. And because the lady's reputation preceded her, the Mary Celeste never made a profit, lost money on every voyage, and in 1879, another sea captain in charge of the ship fell ill and died. And this gave more um, more fuel to the rumor that the ship was cursed. Later, she was sold to a firm in Boston. And then I think there's there's this, you know, fairly frequent series of handoffs and sales and resales because people don't want to get rid of a ship. Again, it's such an enormous investment. Absolutely. Even a cursed ship. It's like, hey, well, welcome to my murder mansion. You know, people die here uh, uh, midnight uh, once every seven years, but it is a mansion, and I like to emphasize that part of it. It's very true. <laughs> it's very true, Ben. Um, and there's even another kind of potential insurance scam situation that happens in 1884 when the uh, commanding officer at the time, a Gilman C. Parker, tries to perpetrate insurance fraud against the company that had insured the ship. And they did this by putting a bunch of useless crap into the ship's hold. Uh, and then they made a fake manifest and uh, just tried to insure it for a value of $30,000. And then, and then uh, Parker sails off for Haiti. As they approach the port, he deliberately wrecks the ship. He steers it into a reef. And it's a reef that everybody knows about. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been on a boat in the Atlantic, if you were a, a sailor, you know about this reef. Uh, so the collision rips the boat apart, wrecks the ship, everybody abandons ship, and then Parker immediately uh, goes to, to file his claim, right? Yeah, he does, and uh, it doesn't, doesn't go over so well. Um, it, it's discovered pretty quickly that he had forged this manifest, that the material inside the ship was absolutely over-insured, um, and then he uh, was put on trial, but it ended in a mistrial, but irreparably damaged the man's reputation, and he died uh, three months later. Yeah, so maybe in that case, the curse of the Mary Celeste was a self-fulfilling prophecy. After that, the wreck of the ship was never recovered, and uh, the natural world took over. The reef began to grow, to literally eat the timbers, the bones of the Mary Celeste. In 2001, an expedition said they had discovered partial remains, but... As of now, that has not been definitively proven. And here, our story pauses. And perhaps uh, this will also be the end of the story. 
we look at the evidence available and we see that the mystery of the Mary Celeste probably does boil down to these these relatively mundane but no less terrifying factors. Uh, and the stories that the Mary Celeste has inspired in fiction and film, poetry and art and so on uh, uh, have taken on a life of their own. You know what I mean? I think most people watching any fiction inspired by the Mary Celeste are not swayed by it, right? No, that's the thing. I mean, and that's what we've seen from the beginning of this is that the fiction is probably a little more interesting and compelling than what actually happened. Uh, and yet we still don't fully know what actually happened. But I don't believe in cursed ships. Do you, Ben? Yeah, man. Really? I mean, for fun, yeah. Okay, well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, uh, when Sir Arthur Conan Doyle kind of blew this thing up, yeah. um, that's when it started being a lot of fun because it's great fodder for a story because there's so many unanswered questions. You can fill in the gaps of the narrative yourself with your imagination. Yeah, I wrote, uh, I have a sci-fi story that starts after, actually a triptych that starts with the Mary Celeste. Uh, so I, I cannot throw stones in this glass house. I definitely use it as a jumping off point. And there's something, I, I, I don't know, you know, the, the idea of curses, we, we've seen this in multiple other historical accounts, right? Like the curse, the so-called, uh, as you would say, the whoosh, whoosh, curse of King Tut, right? That turned out to have some, uh, some explicable factors, uh, the Curse of the Hope Diamond. I'm just thinking of curses now. Let us know your favorite historical curse, or let us know the one that you think has the most um, plausibility to it. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. We are some derivation of Ridiculous History. Check out our Facebook group, Ridiculous Historians, where you can share your stories with uh, our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners. You can also follow uh, Noel and I on our own own social meds. I am Ben Bolin at Instagram and Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. And you can find me exclusively on Instagram at HowNowNoelBrown. Big thanks to super producer Casey Pegram. As always, happy to be back in the shipping container after a most enjoyable holiday. Uh, thanks to Gabe, our research associate extraordinaire. Um, thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Thanks, of course, to Christopher Hasi Otis, who, as we said, will return very soon. Thanks, of course, to Eves Jeffcoat, uh, the mastermind behind this day in history class, as well as Afropunk. Uh, thanks, of course, to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, uh, who has uh, has a curse all of his own, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, of course, uh, Noel, thanks to you, man. Happy 2020. Uh, thanks, bud. You too, man. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. 
Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.